We're talking about light. We're talking about light and listening today. I think that's what this passage is fundamentally about. Where are we in the Gospel of Mark and why are we looking at the Gospel of Mark? We've been in lockdown. We've been through strange times. Frankly, still going through some very strange times. The key thing is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so that's what we're trying to do by looking particularly at this Gospel. Mark's Gospel, which we're taking some parts out of. We're not doing every single part, which is why... Um, I send out the Watford Word with some extra notes on, which is also online if you want it there. We've had, so far in the Gospel of Mark, the revelation who Jesus is, that he is Son of God. We've got the controversy. Uh, Last week, we talked about the controversy over who is his family. We've got the controversy with the Pharisees and about his power. What, What kind of power is he using to cast out demons? They accuse him of blasphemy. He says, I don't think you've got your heads quite screwed on. How could Satan be defeating Satan? That's not what's going on here. And then just before this passage we're looking at, Jesus teaches that very famous uh, parable, the parable of the sower, which uh, is often taught in such a way as to help us understand the way that people react to the gospel today. And there is truth in that. But bear in mind that, that when Jesus taught this parable, he wasn't thinking about Christians in the future. He was actually talking to Israel about the way they had been responding to God's message up until that point. And so if you think about the way that Israel was from the days of Moses up to the exile, they responded in these four different ways with these four, by the four different soils. It is still true that people respond in that way, but it's also illustrative of the whole of the history of God's relationship uh, with his people. But we won't be talking about that so much uh, today. Now in this context then, of the passage you're looking at, Jesus appears to be talking particularly to his disciples, not the crowd. In verses 10 and 11, it says, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, about the parable of the sower. And he told them, and he went on to explain it. So it appears this is the same context here. It's his disciples who need this. And so perhaps for us today, if we follow Jesus, we need to hear what he has to say here about light and, and listening. I think that's what's going on here. So, first of all, let's talk about the light. Uh, In this situation, he's talking about somebody who has a light, and and instead of putting it on its stand, he or she brings it in doors and puts it under a bowl um, or a bed. Now, let me ask you, when Jesus is telling this story or this parable about the light, what comes to your mind as to what the light is? What do you think he's talking about when he's talking about the light? The, the gospel, the good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Tyler? About himself. The spirit. Sorry. His message, the gospel, the spirit. Yeah. Anything else? What might the light represent the truth? Because mm. Jesus came full of truth and grace. Yeah. The truth. God's word is often talked about as being the truth. And is often talked about as being a light, particular or a lamp to our path in the Psalms, in particular. In the um, in that time, the metaphor of a lamp was used in the. From, if you read back into the Old Testament and in Jewish literature at the time, it was a metaphor for for God Himself. Sometimes for David, for King David, he was a lamp to God's people. Sometimes it was associated with the Messiah, the one to come. Sometimes it was associated with the temple. The temple is the light. It's God's presence with us. It's God's lamp, in a sense. Sometimes it referred to Israel as a whole. Israel was a lamp and a light to the world. Sometimes it was Jerusalem, the city. 
And, uh, and sometimes it was the Torah, the writings, were actually uh, referred to as the lamp. And so all of these images, I think, are in the mind of his disciples. I don't know if you've ever been at an event where uh, someone's got up to speak, and it's a big event, and they have a microphone, and they need the microphone, and the microphone isn't working. How frustrating that is. This actually happened to me on Friday. So I, in this big um, cathedral-type place, I was given a, a mic like the one I'm wearing here, except that it was attached uh, uh, supposedly to the, uh, to the system. And I got up to do my first bit, and uh, it wasn't working. And I went and sat down and looked at it, and it was all turned on. I got up again to do my second bit, still nothing. And I could see people, I, mean, I, I spoke fairly loudly, but it was a big abbey, you know, all the way back. I could see people frowning, and they couldn't hear. Then a chap came up to me when I sat down and suggested it wasn't turned on right and took it apart, put it back together. And I went out and did my third bit and still no sound. And then I realized the low battery light was blinking. And so some, I gave it to somebody, they went away and I could see people scurrying in the side chapels looking for batteries. This person went into a room, came back out. They, couldn't, they were shaking their head. They couldn't find any new batteries. They went up to the chap doing the videoing uh, and to find out if he had batteries. And I could see them having a conversation about batteries. And eventually this chap came back to me with new batteries in. And from that point on, I could be heard. It's very frustrating. You've got a lamp here. What do you want to use the lamp for? To bring light, to put it on its stand. There's no point in hiding the thing. It doesn't make any sense. What's the point of, I mean, at least, at least my, my microphone eventually got fixed, but what would it be like if they fixed it and I could still use it and then I turned it off? Jesus is saying, you've got, this is, there's a lamp come. Whatever the lamp precisely indicates, the, the light, the truth, the message of God, the gospel, the Messiah himself, this thing from God is here. And this is the battle that the people who heard him were wrestling with. The disciples found it difficult to process all this. The Pharisees were convinced that this was not a light or lamb from God. The crowds at times loved what they were seeing and hearing, and other times were really not sure. His family certainly weren't clear for a large part of his life. But this is, this is the point, is this light has come, this lamp has come. How can we put it somewhere and, and place it somewhere that it can have the kind of impact it's meant to have. And then we go on to the measure. For the second part here, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more. Whoever does has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So we're talking about a measure, we're talking about hearing. We're talking about considering carefully. So here's what I'd like to do for five minutes. Would you turn to the person next to you or perhaps two or three of you together and, and have a discussion about what does it mean to carefully consider something? What is the difference between carefully considering as opposed to perhaps just listening or hearing something? What does it mean to carefully consider? Yes, Aya. Okay. Mm, pros and cons. Mm, thank you. Good. Okay. What else? What else? Yeah. Not to assume that you know what's about to be said. 
Don't going in with not to go in with Right, trying to go in to this without preconceived decisions or, or yeah. Good, good, yeah. Carefully consider, yeah. 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 You think about the opposite. Can we really carefully consider something whilst rushing along? Yeah. You, you, you just can't do that, right? The opposite of being impulsive. Yeah. Carefully consider. What else? What does it look like? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's like if you fully care about what's happening. Yes, the people and what's happening. Somebody had a hand up. Yes. That's a very good point. So what does it feel like, if I can extend this slightly, what does it feel like when you are convinced that someone is carefully considering you or your needs or what you're saying? How does it feel? Feel valued, yeah, 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 that's right. How does it feel? Cared for. Cared for. Mm -hmm. Reassuring. Reassuring, yes, yes. Safe. People not rushing to judgment, perhaps, so you, you'd feel safe, yeah. Mm. Reminds me of the scripture in Acts, it was very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, eager, eagerness has nothing to do with speed, no. necessarily. It's an attitude of seriousness, isn't it? Mm. The Bereans. That's a really good example. Pat.
essentially considering carefully what what you're about to embark on. Can you bear the cost? Yeah. Luke 14. Yes, the tower. Build the tower. Yeah. Good. Super. Any other thoughts? Safe, safety of others, not just yourself. Yes. What were you going to say, Bromley? Just the practice of the considerations for the Yeah. Because I think, like, you know, when you quote scripture, but people don't know roughly what you're quoting scripture, <laughs> when you're talking about, you know, taking practical practice. I'm just thinking, <coughs> consider the way to spur on it means a different approach for everybody. Everyone's different. There's like a, there's a, there's a wisdom to the consider kind of applies use your experience, your judgment, your, from the resources you have, to become this thing that's not really Yeah, isn't it, when you when you speak to somebody, and you have a conversation with somebody, and you ask them a question about something that's important to you, and then you realize they've really, really, really thought about it. They've investigated it. They've. I often have this experience with Tunde. Um, because Tunde is one of those research people. He'll research everything to some ex- extraordinary level. So I'm, I'll ask him something, and then he'll realize he's read articles, he's read things on the web, he's read books, he's thought about it, he's got a, a 10-point rationale for his position. <laughs> and whether he's, whether he's right or not, oh, there's somebody else like that, isn't there? Um, Knowing the rules first. Oh, I'm going to ignore rules. Is that right? <laughs> is that right? Well, it's frustrating. You'll know the rules as you're going to talk about cheating by accident. We learn the basic rules. <laughs> <laughs> so I sense a divide in the room here. <laughs> Different kinds of characters. You know, in some areas like board games, it may not be that important. Maybe, maybe not. It's debatable. But there are other, part, other things in life where being well-informed means stopping, as you said, I think. You know, stopping to think or listen to people. And, and this is, I think, what frustrates God, perhaps, sometimes, is that people don't actually hear what he's saying. We think we hear. And the world thinks they know who God is, but they don't. They think they know who Jesus is, but they don't. They don't. And perhaps we, even as followers of Jesus, sometimes we have an idea of who Jesus is that's a few years old now. It's a bit old. It's a bit stale. It's something we used to think, but yet our understanding of Jesus should continue to develop. And the only way it continues to develop or our relationship with Jesus continues to deepen is if we stop and consider, who is he? What is he doing in my life? What's he doing in the world around us? What's he doing in this congregation? We have to stop. And we have to consider, and perhaps we have to talk together to figure that out. So um, let me suggest some ideas for us to think about from what we're looking at in this passage. First of all, the light. The lamp's meant to be used in a public way uh, to benefit other people. So it's not just for you and me, and I think we know that, but that's a part of our lives we need occasionally. I need reminding of. I enjoy my Christian life 
most of the time. Some of it is hard, right? Some of the Christian life is hard. But I enjoy my relationship with God, and I find God to be amazing and wonderful to me. And even though he's often mysterious and sometimes strange and sometimes allow things that I wish he didn't allow that are painful, I do trust him, I do believe in him, and I am grateful for him. But it's not just about me and him. The lamp's meant to be visible to other people so that other people can, can know. To hide the lamp is nonsensical. And I wonder whether Jesus tells the particular, this particular parable to his disciples, because maybe they're getting a little bit concerned about the amount of opposition they're getting, because they're getting more and more as you go through the gospel. And opposition is not pleasant. I mean, I, I go a bit, um, you know, I go a bit funny if I just get one negative tweet or something on something I've posted online. I, I don't have a very thick skin for criticism, to be perfectly honest. But what if you had crowds of Pharisees and all the authorities of the land um, against you, and even the crowds around Jesus sometimes, they tried to throw him off a cliff. And you're thinking, that's my leader, they're throwing him off a cliff. I wonder what will happen to me. And ultimately the cross, of course. So I think sometimes Jesus tells the story to say, you may be afraid, but this is meant to be out in the open. What, what has been concealed is meant to be revealed. And he's talking about the kingdom, I think, here in particular, because he goes on to tell parables about the kingdom right after this. So he's talking about the kingdom, the knowledge of God that's come to this world through Jesus, for Jesus to reign as King Jesus. He reigns in our lives. He's meant to be available to everybody. And exposing yourself as a Christian sometimes uh, is uncomfortable with friends or family and at work. Sometimes it's hard. I had a funny experience last week. Uh, recently, Penny and I had our, we got some Leylandii at the end of our garden, and they, they've grown and very unruly, and they're too tall for us to trim. So we, we hired a company to come and trim them, and they did a great job. But we also discussed the extent of the trimming with our neighbors behind and on one side, because they, they hang over their, their fence. So we had a discussion over the fence with our neighbors, and they were fine, but we were a little bit nervous, because once it's done, it's done, and if if the people doing it hadn't done it right, we'd have a problem with our neighbors, I suppose. Anyway, the, the people came, they trimmed it, they did a great job. And the next day, the, the fella, a couple there, the fella came around to our house, knocked on the door, and, uh, and I thought, well, what's he going to say? Simon. What's Simon going to say? He's there. And he says, he says, your people who did this did a fantastic job. We are so happy. Can we give you some money towards the cost? And I, I, I mean, I, well, I should have said yes, I think, <laughs> but I was so shocked. I didn't know what to say. I said, no, 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 we were going to pay for it anyway, maybe a bottle of wine or something. So he went away, very happy. We had a nice chat. He went away. A week later, a few days ago, his wife came around, and she knocked on the door, and she gave us two bottles of wine, a nice bottle of red, a nice bottle of white, and we had a nice chat. And we're chatting, and she tells me, you know, it's a good job, and they're very happy with it, and we get chatting, chatting. And then she says, are you a church man? And I said, well, I, I suppose so. I don't, I don't quite know what that means, but anyway, I suppose so. She said, I said, yes, I suppose so. She said, I thought so. She said, um, and I, I should have asked her why she said that, but I just, I didn't know quite how to respond. Anyway, she goes on to tell us that, she and her husband used to go to a church somewhere up near Tring, but they moved down to Croxley. They've been, think, they've been wanting to connect with a church. They've been trying a few churches in Croxley, haven't felt settled. Uh, they wonder what I thought about church and churches in the area. 
and that kind of thing. So we had a conversation about that. Of course, I said, well, you're welcome here. We are a strange bunch, but you know, we're, we, we're, we're quite harmless. And, um, and it, was, it was a funny feeling. I'm just telling you about the story, but the feeling in me is what, what I want to talk about. There was part of me that was so excited that, oh, what an interesting thing for someone to say and observe. And I still don't know exactly why she said that. Um, but there was another part of me that felt a bit tongue-tied and a bit awkward and a bit like, what do I say to this person? What, what do they actually need? And what, what are they thinking of me by saying they think I'm a church man? And it, there was that awkwardness as well. And I just think it's part of, part of being a Christian, isn't it? That at times it just feels awkward to talk about our faith. And that's okay. We don't have to get everything right. We just need to be visible. We need to be a lamp. We need to be... However God does it, when God brings people to us, we just need to be confident in God and in Jesus, even if we feel rather unconfident, even if we feel like we're not really quite adequate. Perhaps especially if you feel like you haven't been a very good Christian recently, which occurs to most of us probably three times a day. <laughs> certainly does to me. But that's not really the point. The point is Jesus. The point is his message. And so let me encourage us to think about in what way might God be trying to help you to shine the light of the kingdom on someone's life? Is there anybody around you that you think that's, God's trying to do that? And, and maybe there's a prayer for us to be more bold and confident in letting that light shine in that sense. I think that's one thing to think about. Um, and the second thing to think about is the listening point here. You know, it's often read or preached at this point Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they will have will be taken from them. It's often preached as a fairly challenging point, almost like a threat. And I think there's an implied challenge here. There's a, well, at least a warning. There's certainly a warning. But I think it's more of a promise than it is of a challenge. Because he says, whoever has will be given more. And that's God's desire. His desire is for us to understand more, to learn more, to enjoy more of what it means to be in Christ. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The better we are as listeners towards God, the, the more we will learn, the more we will grow. And I think this is a key element of the Christian life, is to, to start with, I think, to be a Christian, you've got to listen a bit to the truth and then obey it to become a Christian. But a lot of the early years as a Christian are, are, are fairly simple. But as we grow as Christians, a lot of our own development and growth how close we really feel to God, how confident we really are in his grace, is largely about not what we know in our heads. It's about whether we're listening to God, whether we're carefully considering his promises and his warnings. And I, th I would say this, that for us to consider, is what are the best conditions that we have in our lives, we're all different, what are the best conditions that you can find to help you listen to God? What's the time, what's the place, what's the context where you find yourself able to listen? Perhaps as you read your Bible and you're listening to it, not, and it's considering carefully, not just reading it. Or you're praying and you really know you're in a place where you can listen, not just talk. What are the conditions that work for you? And if you, know, if you don't know what they are, then that's something to talk about. But if you know what they are, then how can you so arrange your life to get that regularly? How can you arrange your morning, your evening, your day, your spare time, your weekends? 
How could you arrange things with your spouse, if need be, with the kids, whatever? How can you negotiate all that so that you have at least some of that time where you can carefully consider what Jesus is communicating, however he's doing that? I'll say that's something for us to, to think about. I think the core issue in this section right here is about listening. It's about proper listening. It's about attentive listening. It's about reflective listening. And we do have people in our congregation who are skilled in this. Uh, some people, like uh, our therapists, like Charles or Kate or others, um, have even professional training in listening. And it might be worth having a conversation with them about what it means to listen because we probably think we know what it means, but there are different levels of listening. But perhaps it is really about this. It's more about that listening than anything else. And so I think, I think this, at least I'll speak for myself. I think listening is harder than talking. I think listening is harder than evangelism. I think listening is harder than serving people in Christ. We can distract ourselves by serving. We can distract ourselves by evangelism, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things, but if it gets in the way of listening, we're missing something very profound. And so let's share our faith, and let's serve one another, but let's make sure we're really listening. Because if we consider carefully what we hear, well, then we will be given even more. Whoever has will be given more. As we gain more from Christ, we will grow, grow more and more. So, Wrapping up, one of the reasons we're going to take bread and wine in a moment, and there's some capsules on the table over there, if someone could grab those and pass them around. One of the reasons we take bread and wine is to remind ourselves of who we're listening to. And that we listen to, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we want to remember Christ and all of who he is and all of what he has for us. So as we take bread and wine in a moment, can I ask us to reflect on how we can listen to him so that we can remember him? How can we listen to his, his teachings? How can we listen to him in prayer? How can we allow the Spirit, as Bronwyn mentioned, to be something, someone who speaks to us? How can we be inspired by listening to Jesus such that we can take the, the light to the world that desperately needs it? And it, it really does. How can we do this? Uh, so we're going to pass these round, and then Esther's going to pray for us in a minute.